What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, go to stickandball.tv to check out some of the best content from some of the best coaches for softball and baseball in the country. And don't let me forget to mention that it's updated weekly. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. On today's show, we have on Justin Hare, head baseball coach at Campbell University. Justin just finished his sixth season as the head coach at the Campbell University Fighting Camels and his 14th as a member of the Campbell University baseball staff. After spending seven seasons as the recruiting coordinator, assistant coach, and eventually associate head coach under former skipper Greg Goff, he was named the 10th head coach at Campbell University on June 6, 2014. Justin has coached dozens of all-conference players, over 20 all-region players, and seven conference players of the year, two region players of the year, and 15 All-Americans. He has also recruited or coached every baseball All-American in Campbell history. On top of that, he is one of four head coaches in program history to reach triple-digit win totals. So on the program, we discuss program building, competitive practices, and player-led standards. And with that, here's Justin Hare. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate it, man. Looking forward to, to diving in on some stuff today. Oh, 100%. So I, I do want to ask you, so you were... So you've been at uh, Campbell for 14 years, you said, and so you spent the first seven as the assistant, and then you took over as the head coach. So I, I first want to dig into what was the transition like going from uh, being a, being the assistant coach for seven years, and then turning around and having the same core group of guys going from the assistant to the head coach. So tell us a little bit about what that was like, and then I'll, I'd love to hear just some different things that, well, well actually... We'll go into that here in just a second, but I want to know what the transition was like from being the assistant to the head coach. Yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting transition. You know, obviously, I, I think a lot of assistant coaches. I was the assistant here for seven years, um, eleven years as an assistant coach in 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 total before I became a head coach. And so, um, I jokingly tell people all the time: you go from being the guy that has all the answers or the smartest guy in the room as an assistant, as as my assistants probably feel the same way. They they have most of the answers, and I'm now the dumbest guy in the room as the head coach. So, um, you know, I, I think that that's been or that was was kind of the biggest transition of like, hey, as an assistant, you always have ideas on on how to do things a little bit different or how to do them a little bit better. And when I get into the big chair, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Then you become the head coach and and obviously you want to implement those things. But then all of a sudden you start to realize, hey, man, like you have to have every answer, right? Like you're the guy that has to have every answer. You you don't just get to float theories out there anymore or float ideas out there anymore. At some point, you have to be the decision maker. And so um, so I, I think that that was that was like the first like I don't want to say it was a shock, but like that was the first indication. It was like, OK, like we, we really got to get, you know, we really got to be on, on our stuff right now. And then I think just that, that process, um, was, was interesting because that first year, um, we had a really good group of guys and, and a really good, really talented group of, of guys coming off a of regional in 2014. Um, and, and as the assistant associate head coach and then becoming the head coach for 2015, um, 
I think we jumped out. We were like 17 and two, like the first 19 and we're rolling along. And I'm, I'm like, man, this is, this is easy, man. Like we're, we're crushing. We're going to win 45 games. Like we're, we're, we're crushing. And then of course, like, you know, you, you hit a rough patch and um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I was totally equipped for, for understanding like how to handle that adversity as, as a head coach opposed to, um, you know, as an assistant. So it, for me, it was a, it was a big maturation process, really. Like the initial transition was, was fun. You hit the ground running, you, you get going, you try to start implementing some of your ideas. Um, but I think that you start to realize pretty quickly, you need to find your own voice. You know, I think I got caught between um, trying to be like my old boss because we had a lot of success and, and my boss before that, because we had a lot of success. And so it was, I need to be different than I was as an assistant and I need to be a little bit closer to this guy or that guy. I think when we started to have success or when I started to feel more comfortable as the head coach was when I started to kind of find my own voice and just say, Hey man, like this is who I am. This is my authentic self. This is, I'm, I'm open to be vulnerable. Um, I'm going to be wrong. Uh, I don't always have the answers. Um, and, and when the, the sooner that I, um, got to that comfortability, the better I was as a coach, as a head coach, uh, and the closer version of, of personality, um, that I got back to as an assistant. But I think that there was definitely a, um, a curve there of, of trying to figure out what that looks like for me. Um, and, and how that, um, you know, perceives to our, to our players and, and to our staff and, and, and to everybody in general. So if, if you're a guy transitioning from an assistant to a head coach, um, 100%, my biggest piece of advice is to find your authentic voice, um, as a head coach and don't be afraid to be exactly who you are, um, every single day. And, and you don't have to be somebody different because now your title's changed. Uh, in fact, I encourage you to just be uh, a better version of of the authentic person that you were as an assistant, because there's a reason that you got the job, um, and and so I think when I started to realize that, I, I became a better um, better at my job. No, I really like hearing that, and uh, you know, it, it's something that that comes up frequently with that transition because I I don't know very many people who go directly into being a head coach, and and a lot of them say with the assistant you're like eighty percent you know, on the field with the players doing skills and drills, and then you transition to the head coach. And now it's more like, I don't know if it's 80% or, or whatever it is, but it's, it's the overarching theme of the vision of the program. And uh, I don't want to say paperwork, but uh, a better word is escaping me at the moment. Uh, but I, 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 I'm curious too, with the relationship with those players that you had, or even the assistants that were there, was there ever a time that, uh, I don't want to say you had to remind them that you were the head coach now, uh, because again, with the, with the assistant, you're around the players a, a heck of a lot more than you probably are with the as the head coach, just because you have your small groups, uh, you are are specific to a certain area, and then as the head coach, you you've got to pay attention to everything. Was there ever a moment that that happened? And if there was, how did you deal with that? Or just kind of walk us through that if you had anything like that. Yeah, I mean. I, I, there's definitely days like that. And there's definitely been instances like that I, because I, I was a head coach or a, I'm sorry, assistant coach for so long. I, I, I do feel like it's really important for our assistant coaches to have a voice and to have um, input in a lot of decisions and, and to have ownership of what we're trying to do and, and, and what we're trying to build. And so sometimes like it can get, you know, well, well, you know, 
I try to hire passionate guys. I try to hire guys that, that have vision and, and, and some energy about what they're doing. And so, and of course we're all competitive, right? And so, so, you know, there's, there's been plenty of times over the last seven years that, you know, assistants or whatever are going to have ideas and, and thoughts on, Hey, we should do this a little bit different, or maybe we could do this, or maybe we could do that. And sometimes I don't feel like maybe that's the best thing for, for our program or not right now, or, or I don't like the implementation of that. And maybe we need to tweak it a little bit. And so, yeah, so I think some of those competitive juices can get flowing a little bit and, 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 you know, everybody wants to win and everybody wants to do a great job. And, and at the end of the day, I have to be the one that, that has to say yay or nay on the things that we're going to go with and the things that we're not going to go with. And so, yeah, there's been, there's been, um, you know, times that it's been, um, in a meeting room where it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm the one that's hired and fired on, on this. And, and I'm the one that, that is responsible ultimately for, for where the direction of this goes. And so I have to make the decisions. You may not always like it, uh, and that's okay. Um, but, but we need to understand that, that we need to respect the, the fact that the head coach is always ultimately responsible for every piece, you know, and, and to the point the NCAA has even gone on and made rules to say the head coach is basically responsible for everything and can get fired for anything. So, um, you know, and so, so there is some, some, some challenges there. And, and, and again, like that's, that's just something where the, the more that I'm a head coach, the more that I can either try to um, head that off a little bit, uh, you know, I can, try to project, you know, where some of those challenges may come a little bit further down the line. I think that's part of leadership is, is to try to see um, that potential train wreck 10, 10 miles down the road and, and see where we can divert ourselves to, to be able to avoid that. And sometimes it's just to say, Hey guys, like um, I appreciate your input, but I've got to go with what, what I think's best here. Um, and you got to have those uncomfortable conversations, but I, but I welcome some of those challenges. I welcome some of those uncomfortable conversations because sometimes there's there's a lot of growth that happens in that and there's a lot of um little tweaks that that hey man I might think I have the answer and you might think you have the answer but really the the answer lies somewhere in the middle and so I think being able to have some of those confrontational talks and 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 challenges back and forth help make both sides better if it's handled head on and it's coming from the right place of of the betterment of the program and 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 trying to you know get to where we want to go with, with our vision and our projection of, of, uh, of what we think we can become. A really good, really good answer. And uh, again, an all encompassing one. And, and I, I love the, and I want to drive this, this thought home before we move on is, is you're taking input from the assistants, whether you may, you may use it, which I'm sure you, you do use quite a bit of it. You may tweak it and you may not use it, but you're at least giving them a voice, which I think is for an assistant coach and you coming from being an assistant coach is just when we feel like, Sometimes we do have all the answers, uh, but sometimes we just want an outlet to be able to to express that and learn from it too. Cause I think that's how we learn for sure. No doubt. And and again, like those guys want to become head coaches at some point, just like I did when I was an assistant, you know, and and I, you know, you spend a ton of hours, right? Like whether whatever level you're at, you spend more hours doing this job than than a lot of other jobs. You know, we're working 60, 80, 90, 100 hours a week when it's now we're back into recruiting season and you're gone for two weeks at a time. And like, it, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of balls in the air. And so I, I think driving home that, that our assistants have ownership of this program, just like I do. And that, that, that I'm not more important than they are. I'm not more important than our players are. We all have some ownership. We all want to have skin in the game. Um, 
again, if you have skin in the game, now all of a sudden the game means a whole lot more to you, right? Like me and you go to Vegas, I give you 20 bucks to put down on red and you lose that 20 bucks. It's not that big of a deal to you, right? Like, but if you put your own 20 bucks down on red and you lose that 20 bucks, like maybe that is a bigger deal to you. So again, I think having skin in the game makes that game be a lot more important to you. And, and, and I want that for our guys. I want them to feel like, their career, their jobs, all that stuff is on the line every day. Like we're on a one day contract. I'm not on a, I'm not on a five-year contract. I'm on a one day contract, right? Like I'm not guaranteed tomorrow in this job, in this life and anything like, so man, I need to put some skin in the game and and I need to put it on the line. Um, and when I think that, that you start to encourage that with your, your assistant coaches and your players, um, man, you get a whole lot more ownership and a whole lot more buy-in and a whole lot more love and care for, for what we're doing on a day-to-day basis. Oh, I love that. Great answer. So let's rewind back to when it, whenever you took over the job. So you, uh, you jobs open in the summer, right before, you know, uh, players, I mean, most jobs, did you get it in the summer or was it like a yeah. winter basis? Okay. Yep. In the summer, basically we got back, um, 2014, we went to the South Carolina regional. We got back, um, whatever day sunday i think we got back from from um columbia and um coach golf had an opportunity at at louisiana tech and it all kind of went fast it was it was like basically within a week um he got hired at at louisiana tech Uh, my boss at at the time um or our athletic director at the time bob roller uh, called me and was like, Hey, let's go to, to breakfast at Cracker Barrel tomorrow morning. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I think coach golf's press conference was like at noon and Rustin and we went to breakfast at nine and he offered me the job, um, to stay and, and, and be the head coach. And, um, you know, coach golf got, got announced at noon and I got announced at like one, you know, so it was, it was pretty fast. And, um, I think like June 6, 2014. Nice. So you've got June and July to really you know, plan out your fall, which again, being the assistant there, you know, the players, you are able to understand what you guys did successfully, but you also want to put your own spin on it. So I want to know, what did you decide to uh, deviate away from, which we we all do every single year, no matter if it's good or not, we always want to change and, t- and tweak some things, but we also want to keep other things. So, you know, using your, uh, your analogy that we'll probably get into later, what did you start, stop and continue? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, man, right away, like that, that was like, that was, that was a big, um, that was a big challenge for me. Cause again, like, I'm like, Hey man, we've been successful. So there's, there's certain things that we want to keep. Like we had some toughness and, and we, we coach them hard. Um, and we practice really hard and I want to practice fast. And so, Hey man, we're going to keep that. We're going to keep that up tempo. We, we, you know, the offensive side, which is what I was involved in as an assistant, hitting coach and, 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 um, recruiting coordinator. And so, Hey man, we're, we're going to try to keep rolling on the offensive side of things. Um, you know, what are we going to change? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a younger guy and, um, you know, like, Hey, we're, we're going to be, um, you know, we want that young energy and, 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 you know, coach golf, he, he, you know, he, he got on the guys pretty good. I don't need to be like that, you know, just like, I just trying to, um, trying to break out and, and kind of put our, put our own stamp on it. Um, you know, and, and what I found was that, that the things that I wanted to change right away, um, you know, they changed for me. Right. And, and certainly for our guys, but like, 
it didn't have the impact that I thought it was going to have, right? Like, hey, man, like we're going to have some core values and I'm just going to establish them and we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, we're going to change this and change that. And then it was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. The coach like that's great. Like, um, you know, but like what I didn't realize was like, hey, man, like I really should have should have given more input to our players. Right. I should have, you know, you know, been been a little bit more open. And that took some time for me. But but I think the things that we wanted to keep doing was we wanted to keep that toughness and, and that up tempo, um, you know, kind of kind of flow of practice and games and, and, and kind of an attacking mentality offensively we wanted to continue to be really good um and really dynamic and 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 i think that we did that though there was some ups and downs there as well um you know and and you know but culturally like i wanted to really hammer home the the family aspect of of what we were doing and and try to be more genuine um when it came to that and 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 uh and and figure out some of that accountability side of things but um you know, Coach Goff was, was is is a disciplinarian man. Like that's that's kind of his deal. It's it's kind of his way or the highway. And, and I'm not necessarily the same version of that. Um, and, and so, trying to figure out where the sweet spot was for me from from a discipline standpoint, from an accountability standpoint, from from a responsibility standpoint of the clubhouse um, was something that that I wanted to do a better job of. I don't think I did a very good job of it the first two, three, four years that, that I was the head coach. And, and I think that that's a part of of kind of the bell curve of of where we've been was, you know, 2014, we we're in a regional 2015, really good, good start. Um, 16, not as good. 17, kind of kind of heading in the wrong direction. Then 18, back to a regional 19, regional final, 21, regional final and, and been able to kind of build that back up. But I think that's because we've gotten better as a staff and, and as a program of Hey, like we've been able to keep that up tempo. We've been able to develop our own version of of that toughness. We've been able to develop guys on the mound and, and be really good and 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 develop stuff on the mound that gives us a chance to match up. But ultimately, like we've been able to develop the cultural side of things a lot better, uh, a brotherhood, a love and a care for each other, a, a higher attention to detail, uh, you know, a, a better work ethic than other people, and and some of those things. Um, and that took some time to develop, um, you know, and so, um, again, like you, you think like, Hey man, I'll just jump in that big chair and, and, and I'll be able to make all the decisions and, and things will go smoother. Um, for me, it wasn't that smooth. Um, we had our, our fair share of challenges and, and being able to, um, mature through some of those early mistakes or those early challenges, I think was important, um, to, to building our program into what it is now. No, really good. And I know that, like you said, it's it's one of those that you, you're trying to decide what you want to keep because it relates to your personality and the way you want to do things, even though you did work for a really good head coach who was successful. So I'm sure it's all, all, all a really tough balance, which is what, you know, what you're alluding to. But I, I'd love to hear. So you you said uh, you wish you had given more back to the players. And whenever, you know, whenever I think of that, I think of Uh, just standards and rules and culture, like all of that is, you know, it it may be dictated or held accountable by the head coach uh, to some degree, but it's also even better when the players do. So not, not that all of that is encompassing, but that they all play off of each other a little bit. And it's just the daily discipline to the things that we're, that are important to us as a program. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on, 
you know, do you do that with players now or how do you set that up? Because culture is such a, a big thing, but it's also something that's it's it's really hard for a lot of people to define or set up. Uh, and and so for the head coaches that are listening to this or the new ones, especially the ones who or the ones who are transitioning and, and wanting to do something similar, uh, what would your advice be? How do we set it up? Just what what you know, what are the sticking points and mm-hmm. how do we how do we you know, how do we build a better culture? In yeah. essence which yeah. could probably take a, a, a couple hours to explain. <laughs> but I'd love to just hear, you know, your pillars or your thoughts or anything yeah. that you have in regards yeah. to that. Yeah, you know, I, it's it's so it's it's so interesting to me because because um, there's a lot of places that have good cultures that that and they build it a little bit differently. I don't think that there's a silver bullet. I don't think well the way that we do it is the only way that you can do it, and that's it. I, I think that there's probably um, some some common themes between some of that, but I. But I do. But but for us, okay. for us, hey, man, like Coach Goff was a hey, man, like here's the rule sheet. We're going to go through them. You can sign it at the bottom if you want to be a part of this deal or if you don't want to like, hey, man, like the door's right back there. Like it's fine. Like but these are going to be the rules for our program, like for, for everything time appearance, like on down the list, you know, whatever, like whatever you can, whatever you can think about, like, this is the rule sheet. This is what we're going to live by. Like there was no feedback. There was no questioning it. There was like, Hey, this is it. That's, that's fine. And that worked for him and that worked for us. Um, and it was my job to find guys that were going to fit into as the recruiting guy, you know, and, and our other assistants that, that I worked with, it was our job to, to find guys that fit into that standard. And that was great. Like, cause it was defined super easy, man. Like not super easy, but like it, it was clear, right. Super clear. And so the, 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 the building of our culture for what we are now has, has its roots in that. Right. And, and, and has its roots in, in finding tough kids with character and, and, and that want to do the right thing. They know the difference between right and wrong. That's an important piece, but for, for us to take the next step and, and to, better reflect the the personality of me and, and and our staff I felt like um trying to to get away from that rule sheet like hey man here's here's a sheet sign it at the bottom you don't have any input you know and so then w- what that started to create was a, a a players versus a coaches mentality like well the coaches set the rules and if you fell short of that man like we were going to hammer you like you were going to get punished and and so then it created a divide between between the, the, the two separate sides. And I didn't want that. I didn't like that. I wasn't comfortable with that. That's, that's not, uh, that wasn't my strength as an assistant. Um, my strength as an assistant was, was to build the relationship with the players and spend a lot of time with them and, and, and have them feel like we were, we were in the fight together. And so, oh man, we, we need to get back to that. And so for us, basically, um, it, this was super nerve wracking before the 2018 season. So the fall of 2017, um, in our first team meeting, essentially we, we took out a big whiteboard and we had four or five different categories, uh, appearance, overall look of the program, uh, time and attentiveness, um, just different stuff, man, that, that, um, that basically I just opened it up to the locker room and said, okay, if we want to be a championship level program, like, what does it mean to be a championship level program uh, when it comes to time and attentiveness and preparedness? Like, what does that look like? And and essentially, I just opened it up to the room and whatever they said, I just wrote on the whiteboard. And I was blown away because it was like, coach, like championship programs are 
15 minutes early and prepared. Okay, 15 minutes early and prepared. Um, they all wear the same stuff to practice. What, whatever they said, like we just wrote it on the board and, and I was able to kind of uh, question some things that they said and, and you know, kind of, you know, if, if one guy in the back said, hey, I think we should be able to wear earrings. Okay, like, all right, well, let's write that up here. And then I would maybe open it up to the other group because maybe he was the only guy that said, hey, like I want to wear, I want to wear my earrings when, you know, the other 34 guys are like, that's not a professional look or that's not what we're looking for here that's just a small example of like, let's just open it up to the room. Um, and so what we did is we went through those four or five things. We met for an hour and a half or two hours. Um, the guys really responded well. And then, and then we sat down as a staff, we boiled it all down. We, we, we consolidated where we felt like we could consolidate, put it into a PowerPoint presentation. Two days later, we went back and, and had that same conversation with our guys. Hey, are these the things that 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 you think are going to help us get to a championship level? You know, whatever it is, we ticked them off and and in in the four or five different areas. And and uh, yep, that coach, that's those are our words exactly. You know, you boiled them down, you you consolidated them, but but yeah, we're on board with that. Okay, so these are the standards that we're going to live by for 2017, 2018. Like this is this is it, right? Like this is who we're going to be. This is these are your words, right? I want you to have some ownership in this deal. It doesn't need to just be me or, or our staff dictating to you. Essentially, you're dictating to each other um, what those standards look like. And and um, yeah, coach, that's that's it. OK, great. Like in these five areas, you guys have had a ton of say so. Boom, boom, boom. This is the standard that we're going to live by. Coaches have to live by the same thing. You know, if it means that, you know, we, we got to wear, you know, black shoes in the, in the weight room and, and this style that, that we've got for everybody, then that's what we have to wear. Um, and, and to include coaches. Right. And so, all right, well, if we fall short of these standards, then this is going to be the punishment. And the punishment is, you know, for us is a, is a time down and back. Right. And everybody on the team has to run it. So Johnny, you know, wears the wrong shirt to the weight room on that Friday, everybody has to run time down and back from the third base bag to the left field fence and back in 26 seconds. And then we're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about how we could have done a better job of, of helping Johnny, how we need to be more accountable to the standards that, that we set as a, as a program um, and so on and so forth. And so in a nutshell, like that's how we approached it, right? Like I, I, I and, and of course, the, and then there were some non-negotiable things like, Hey, listen, this is our stance on drugs and alcohol. This is our stance when it comes to academics. And, you know, this is where you need to be. And, and this and, and these are the requirements from that side. There, there are things that we didn't open up to our guys that, that to me, um, they don't get a say so in. This is just who we are big picture wise from from a program, um, you know, and so but I, but that's been a good balance for us and, and being able to open up um, that to our guys and, and being able to. Uh, understand that we're all accountable and we all have a role to play. Um, and when we all say, yeah, coach, I'm in on living to that standard, like that means that we're all in on living to that standard. If I'm two minutes late to an individual, then guess what? Like on that Friday, if there's three screw ups or there's three things that, that we fell short of um, as a program, you know, there was a ball left out, there was whatever, like we have three down and backs and, and coach was, you know, coach was late to, to one of the individuals or not, prepared when when practice started or for a meeting or whatever like guess what like they get one back now it went from three to two because you know because i have to be accountable too right and and they shouldn't be you know they 
I'm not going to run it down about, I don't know, blow out my, my hamstring or whatever, but, but they get that down and back back, you know? And, and so there's that opportunity to wipe the slate clean every week to some of those things, to encourage some leadership, to encourage them to hold each other accountable, um, to review the mistakes that we've made and how we can avoid them in, in the future. Um, and and keep it from being a players versus coaches scenario, which I think is is really the worst kind of scenario that you can possibly get into because um, that never seems to work out. Where um, you know that 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 the players and the coaches just don't get along and they don't really like each other. Um, that seems to to always filter out into the field. Definitely, and you know, I've been been trying to research more on. Uh, just coaches in general, no matter the sport. And there was one that, that Steve Kerr uh, started to dig into him a, a lot this, you know, the, the past six months or so. And one of his core values is joy. And, you know, he presents it as, you know, he, he sat down with Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll was asking him, you know, what are your standards or your, or your core values? And uh, Steve brought back like 10 and he was like, no, 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 like whittle it down to a couple and so they they work together through that. And and so Steve explains joy as we want to enjoy coming to work every single day. He's like, we have a standard and an, an accountability within that. But if I'm ha- if I'm not enjoying and I'm not having fun at work every day, then why am I doing it? Like, it's it's not worth it. And so that one hit me uh, between the eyes just because, you know, we we, we are in a, in a business. Uh, we do get fired. And but at the same time, I. I don't want that to lead a, a fearful work environment every day. I, you know, if, if I get fired and I'm loving having and having fun every day, we're winning, we're competitive, uh, and and the the players are growing, then then that's just like okay, okay, it was just wasn't the right fit. And so I love I love hearing you work through that because that's that's what I hear too. I hear that that joyful piece of you know we're we're going to be disciplined and we're going to hold each other accountable, but we're also going to do it as a program together and we're going to enjoy each other every single day. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I. I like true joy comes like for me and for, 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 for our guys in our program, we talk about this a lot. Like it's interesting. You brought up that word because like for us, like true joy is doing the hard things and, and conquering them, right? Like, well, what's the hardest thing to do? The hardest thing to do is to be consistently good every single day, right? Like to set a standard, to be at your best and to fight against that every single day. Like the, that you don't want to fall short of, of that best version of yourself today. That's really hard. Like it, it's, it, it's one thing to be uh, your best once a week or once a month or, or whatever, like, but to be the best version of yourself every day, that's, that's a challenge. Right. And, and I think true joy comes when you overcome those things or you conquer those things, or you fight through the things that are really hard and get to the other end. Um, and you're still alive and you've survived and you've gotten better. Um, true joy doesn't come in comfortable situations; It comes in uncomfortable situations. And so, um, and, and getting through those uncomfortable situations. So I think like, yeah, man, like, Hey, I, I want to be joyful in what we're doing. That doesn't mean it's always like happy go lucky. It means like, Hey man, we're going to challenge you to be better. And that's hard. But man, when you get to the other side of that, that's true joy, like comfort, like, that's just being like, I'm just happy. I'm happy because I just, you know, I just ate a double cheeseburger and a large fry and a diet Coke. Like that's happiness, right? Like, cause that's comfortable. Like, but Hey man, like fighting through, like getting up and getting after it and like, and being the best version of myself every day. Like 
when, when you can sit back at the end of the day and the end of the week and you can say, man, like I really pushed myself and I'm really happy about that. That's true joy to me. And, and that's where I think like you got to be in uncomfortable situations. You've got to fight through the hard things because hard things are going to happen regardless. But man, if we can fight through them, like, and we can find joy in that now, all of a sudden it gives us a little bit more, um, discipline to, to fight against those hard things every day. All right. No, I love that. So I, I, I did want to know, so I, I've got, uh, some different videos. Uh, and again, I told you that, that the ABCA did a, a barnstormers clinic and they, they shadowed you guys for a little while. And so I've got some different things in regards to that, but I, I want to know, like, before we get into this, so every program has its, its advantages and disadvantages. Like you guys have a, a beautiful facility. Like it, it's absolutely like gorgeous. Like I, I, I saw the pictures and, and the videos and I was like, man, like this, this is big time. Uh, but we also have, again, we have advantages and disadvantages no matter what they are. And so I, I'd love to know where have you chosen to spend a bulk of your time? Like where have you found victory in the margins? Where have you decided to not put all of your chips in like one basket, but where have you guys found that competitive advantage uh, within your program, within the constraints and within the strengths that you guys have? Yeah, I think first when it when it starts with recruiting, I think is is to be honest with yourself of of who you are and where you are and and then find the niche from there. Right. Like like we're not in a big city. We're, we're in a rural campus. And, um, you know, if if you want a downtown scene and um, 70,000 people in a football stadium, like that's not this place. Right. And so instead of trying to you know, when, when, when we first got here, we're 45 minutes from Raleigh and it's like, we're trying to play this off. Like we're not far from Raleigh and we kind of have the downtown and, but we don't really like, it's not like it's 45 minutes, man. Like it's not, it's not four minutes, right. It's not a, there, there's no Uber in, in Bowie's Creek. Like there's no, like you can't catch a, you can't catch a lift and, and go up to Raleigh for the night. Like that's not our deal. Right. And so like just kind of establishing what that looks like and, and and what that niche is. And so for us, it was like, okay, we're rural. We're kind of isolated. Um, we're in the middle of cotton and tobacco fields. Like we need blue collar. Um, we need guys that care about baseball um, first, right? Like we need those, those gym rat baseball guys, right? I don't need the guys that are going to chase the females and chase the good time and whatever. Like, Hey man, we've got 4,000, 18 to 22 year old students here. Um, I'm sure there's going to be good times to be had, right? Like everybody wants to be a part of a winner. So the more you win, probably the, the better looking girls show up in the stands, right? Like, but let's take care of the winning side first, you know, and, and, and do that. So like, let's establish who we're looking for, like high character, good students, we're a private school that rewards good, good grades out of high school. Like, so, man, we need good students. We need guys with high character. We need blue collar work ethic type guys. And we need guys that really want to find out and are willing to sacrifice to find out how good of baseball players they can become. If we can identify those guys and we can get a bunch of those guys in, in the room, now all of a sudden, man, like now we've got a chance to do some stuff, right? So once we have the right people in place, whether that's as a coaching staff, extended staff, strength staff, athletic training, the whole deal, and, and we have the right players in place, now all of a sudden we can start to work on that process. Okay, like where can we – where can we find some value? Okay. Well, for us offensively, um, we're going to pressure you, right? Like we're going to run the bases. We're, we're going to steal. We're going to look for that extra 90. We're going to dirt ball read you. We're going to short game you, man. We're, we're going to, we're going to drag take double steal. We're going to, we're going to double squeeze. We're going to squeeze with our four hole guy and two strikes. Like 
we're going to pressure you. We're going to work on our turns really hard because that two steps might be the difference between out and safe. And we don't maybe have that all-star in the eight hole that's going to run one out of the yard if, if he's out, right? Like we've got to find those little things that other people don't think are important or don't see the value in and become really good at that, right? So base running, hit by pitch, um, being good with two strikes, uh, everybody having an ability with the short game, being able to, to, to execute, um, you know, some of that stuff offensively and just find as many ways as we possibly can to pressure a defense. I think that that was really important for us, um, you know, with our development, like then like on the, on the pitching side of things, like we got to get out on the cutting edge, right? Like we've got to establish what, what that looks like again, from the recruiting standpoint, what are we looking for? Bigger body guys, clean arm actions, this, that, and the other. They, they like a certain velo. No, no, not maybe not like, but maybe like some arm speed and hey, they can do these things and it's clean and we can help them um, kind of establish, hey, these are the things that we're comfortable helping guys with, helping them improve with, developing. These are the things that we're not comfortable with and we want to stay away from them. I don't care if that dude's 92. If we feel like he's an injury risk and it's an injury waiting to happen, like, that's probably not a guy for us because that's something that maybe we're not comfortable trying to correct or, or trying to fix. And, and I don't want to run the risk of that. Here's the clean arm 88 mile an hour guy that that's got a lazy lower half. And we feel like we can help with that, man, we got to be, be really good at that. So I think establishing what you're looking for um, and then putting together a process, getting the right guys, but then putting together a process of, okay, here's what we feel comfortable with um, improving upon and, and, and helping develop. And here's the ways that we're going to do it. Um, and then really hone in on doing those things and trying not to get distracted by, well, Vanderbilt's got five guys throwing 100 miles an hour. Like, we got to do that. Like, no, like, we've got to be the best version of, of what we can do, right? And 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 find some value in that. Um, try to play a little bit of money ball stuff. Well, this guy's a slider guy um, and he can and he can provide value in X, right? Like, Here's the outlier of this guy. He's a really good right on right changeup guy. So when we have these opportunities to get him in, we've got to get him in here um, instead of, you know, maybe the traditional like our starters got to go six or got to go seven. Hey, man, like we'll take some of the Rays um, philosophy with some openers and, and, and mixing it up and playing matchups and play shifts and, and do some different things, you know, maybe ahead of, of what some other people had done in the past. I mean, we started playing big shifts. Um, you know, in 2016, like we've, we've been playing big shifts for the last six years. Um, just now you're starting to see more of that. Um, when you watch college baseball on TV, we've been doing that for six years. We've been running the bases. We've been top 10, top 15 in the country and hit by pitch and stolen bases and, and sack flies and, and stuff like that for the last 12 years, you know? And, and so I think for us, it's, it's trying to find the value in the margins and then exploiting that. And, and trusting that the talent level that we have and putting ourselves in a position to be successful um, against whoever we play and then really feeding into um, that mentality with our guys that like that, that we care about things that other people don't, you know. And so when we get hit by a pitch and the other team jumps out of the way, that gives us an advantage. Our guys are looking at them jumping out of the way and us standing in there and getting hit by a pitch as a mental and physical advantage over our opponent. Like that's a win. I don't care 
I don't care what it is. Like it could be hit by pitch. It could be like, Hey coach, did you see that guy's turn uh, around third? It was terrible. Like they obviously don't work on that. Like that's a mental advantage for our guys to, to watch big league games or to watch other games and, and be like, they don't, they don't have attention to detail like we do. Therefore we're gaining ground on them or, or separating ourselves from them. And for us, that's, that's been a huge advantage. Um, but I think it takes that process and that that attention to detail, but it also takes being able to identify it for your guys and showing them exactly what it looks like. Because I think if you just talk about it and they don't see it and they don't see how that benefits them, there's no correlation there, then you're not going to get as much buy. And I think when you start to see the correlation and when they can start to see that separation um, with your attention to detail and the things that, that you you know, that, that they, that they are asked to, to have some importance in. Now, all of a sudden you got a chance to, to really build not just a, a physical gap there, but a mental gap um, between you and your opponents. No, I really like that a lot. And a, a lot of what you're explaining is you're talking about the why, and then you're, you're promoting it whenever you see it. So it's, it's, you know, something that I'm trying to get better at is spotting things that we talk about all the time when they do it, rather than pointing out the times that they don't. So, you know, I, I think we all like to be praised whenever we do something right. But if we if we miss one of those moments and then we miss it again and miss it again, then how important how important is it if we're not going to point it out whenever it happens? I, and I think that that's something that I've been guilty of for sure. Yeah, I, that's, you know, and again, like, hey, what does it look like, coach? Like, man, I, like you, you want me to take a really tight turn around third? Like, well, what does that look like? Well, here, like, there's this video right here. Like, this is what it looks like, or this is what it doesn't look like. Right. Like, and, and we have a group me set up with all of our pitchers in one and all of our hitters in another. And, and, and so it's like, Hey man, I see something on Twitter. Like I'll just shoot it to the group me like, boom, Hey, this is what it looks like. This is what a safety lead looks like at third base or a momentum lead or a momentum, you know, steal of, of second base. Like, this is what it looks like. This is, this is why it's good. Like Mookie Betts is really good. Like you saw, um, like in the playoffs last year, he scored on like a little chopper to the second baseman with the infield in. He's at third base. He's going on contact. Well, why did he score on contact? Was it because the lead was really good? The secondary was really good. He was on time. Like what what are the reasons? Here's the video. Guys, this is what an on-time secondary at third base with the shuffle at the end looks like. And this is why it's important. And now it's like, dang, now I understand what you're talking about. Like it's a lot easier to correlate. And then when your guys do it, like really celebrating those margins is is important, whether that's, hey, controlling the strike zone, like celebrating takes. Right. Like that's something that like the last four years, like that we've put a big a big um, emphasis on is like celebrating takes, like not swinging at that marginal pitch. I don't care if it got called a ball or a strike. That is irrelevant. Could you hit that ball for a double or a home run? No, coach, I could not. You did right by taking that pitch. Great job. But he called it a strike. Who cares, man? Who cares? You can't do anything with that pitch anyway. That's a win for you. Like, let's celebrate it. Boom. Marginal take. Huge, huge win. You know, so just finding ways. Some guys chart that. Some guys have long charts where they plus and minus and all that. And, and that's great. Like, I don't I don't have that. But But I consciously try to verbally and physically reinforce that. High five handshake, hug, great job, man, fist bump, that's awesome. You know, I'll be throwing BP, and it's like marginal take. Heck yeah, man, like that's it. Like that's that's where we got to get to. 
So I think just reinforcing those things, those marginal wins helps build an advantage uh, across the board. Sure. No, that's, that's great. And, uh, you know, wow, that's, that's really good. You're getting me fired up over here. <laughs> so <laughs> with that, uh, let, let's talk about, so you, so you recruit a mold, uh, you got, you guys want tough blue collar guys that come to work every day and, and enjoy being there, but let's talk about how you conduct the fall because you are under some time restrictions. So I want to know where have you chosen, like, what are your time restrictions? Kind of walk us through that if you don't mind, but also what have you chosen to spend a bulk of time on in the fall to get your guys ready for, you know, January, whenever you have to hit the ground running. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and, and, and again, like this is, it, it always changes, right? Like there's, cause you, we talked about this earlier, you're always trying to tweak it. You're trying to get better. You're trying to build some different things. Your personnel changes every year. You never have the same group two years in a row. So some, sometimes guys need different, excuse me, different things. And so you want to do a good job of that. So basically we have a, a, a team, uh, a team section of the fall where it's basically 45 straight days. Um, you have to give them a day off. You can only work 20 hours a week. That includes any team meetings you have. It includes anything that's required, weight room, um, practice time, individual time, any of that stuff. You get 20 hours a week. You have to give them a day off. Um, you know, you have a 45 day window in which you can operate in there. So inner squads, all that stuff. Um, outside of that, you can work eight hours a week with your guys. Four can be um, skill instruction and four can be strength and conditioning um, or team meetings or, or anything that basically doesn't involve a ball. So so you have, you know, roughly a fall semester is about 14 weeks. You've got a week in there around finals at the end that you can't really do anything. So it's 13 weeks. So you have around six weeks of team practice and around six weeks of, of individual um, you know, or skill instruction uh, in that eight hour week. So that's kind of how it sets up. So we kind of split it. First three weeks are kind of skill instruction, that eight hours getting introduced into the weight room, kind of getting that first training block done. Then we get into fall team practice for about six weeks. Right there in the middle, there's fall break. So they get a little break in the middle. And then, and then the last two or three weeks is back to skill instruction. And we kind of do some team building stuff and some team competitive stuff where, where, kind of the grind of the fall um, because you don't really play anybody else. We can play two outside competition in the fall. Um, it ends up being like, at least for us, like because of the way that we set up practice, like it ends up being kind of pitcher versus hitter or pitcher versus position player, like just to drive some competitiveness, um, which is great. But then at the end of the fall, we don't want our guys hating each other going into the spring when we're, when we all kind of got to, got to unite. So we spend those last two or three weeks really hammering home on some team stuff, um, doing some team building stuff and, and, and doing some competition stuff where they're all intermingled and stuff like that. So, um, but where we want to try to spend our, our bulk time of the fall, number one, first and foremost, the strength and conditioning side is by far the most important part of our fall, uh, hammering down our nutrition, hammering down time in the weight room, hammering down our speed and conditioning and, 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 and using that time to the best and, and most productive part of, of, of an advantage. And the reason that we do that is because it's, it's the biggest block of time where when we're competing, it doesn't count in the wins and, and, and loss column, right? Like that's in, in, in the spring, we don't typically have all of our guys here in the summer. We'll have some that are here for summer school and whatever. Um, or just around working out and, and being on campus. But the fall, having all of our guys here is the biggest block that we have 
to gain mass, to gain strength, to gain speed, um, to put our bodies in the best position that they possibly can be to play 60, 65 or more games come springtime. And so if I'm spending the majority of our time or the majority of, of all of our concentration on on skill development, on practice development, on gameplay, like then I'm taking away something from that strength and conditioning side. So what we do is we sit down and, and we're fortunate enough that, that Matt Rodriguez is our strength coach. Um, and he just is with baseball. It, it, we are his main priority, his director of sport performance for, for Campbell baseball, tremendous asset to us, really good at his job. As we just met for two hours yesterday, as a matter of fact, sat down and, and we just go through, Hey, what do you need? Where, where do we need to be from a time standpoint to get the most out of our guys from a training standpoint when it comes to um, strength, right? How much time do we need in the weight room? What, what does that look like? Where are we going to push? Where are the, the highs, where are the lows going to be? So on and so forth. What about speed? Okay. What about nutrition? How can we do a better job um, encouraging our guys with sleep and nutrition and hydration and some of those things? Let's build from there first. Let, let's that be the first thing that goes on the calendar. And then from there, we start to we start to build in. All right. When when do we want to have team outings? Because building the culture in the fall and having our guys, this new group of guys meld together and 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 come together and 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 gel and start to love each other and start to actually care about each other, start to get to know each other. Hey, where can we piece in here? Let's do a team meal here. We can do an outing here. There's a big college football game here. Let's put it on the video board and 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 cater and cater in uh, dinner that night. Let's go bowling as a team here. Let's go paintball here. We can go competition week here. Um, piecing those things in. Then after all that stuff's on the calendar, let's sit down and and let's talk about when we're going to inter squad. When 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 do we need to start scrimmaging? How many days a week do we need to do it? How are we going to set up the teams? How can we do this? How can we do that? And then after that, let's piece in the skill instruction and, and the developmental piece and the throwing programs and all that kind of stuff, because our guys want to do that, right? Like our guys are going to go through their throwing program. Our guys want to, to throw 95 miles an hour. Our guys want to hit the ball 115 miles an hour over the center field fence. So like they're going to spend their free time getting in the indoor and hitting extra. They're going to spend their, their, their days at the field going through their long toss program or their J bands or their plyo balls or their, their activation series or their extra flexibility and mobility, because that benefits them from a skill development standpoint. And we're going to have a plan for them, but I want to make sure that, that we put the most energy and emphasis on those things that they wouldn't traditionally do that ultimately mean the most for us in the long run, culture building, strength building, um, speed building, all that kind of stuff, because we're going to do the baseball stuff. That's what they're here for, right? Like, I'm not going to take our 20 hours and not do baseball stuff. But you know what? Like, if we need an extra hour in the weight room and one less hour in October on the field, because, because, like, because that's what we need today so that we're in better shape in June. Listen, man, that, that weight room session or, or that building block in, within the weight room training schedule, or that night that, that we all sit out here and watch 
uh, Mayweather versus McGregor, right? Like on the video board and, and our dudes can just chill out and have a great time. Like, like that's, that is way more beneficial than one more inner squad game on October the 7th. Um, that our guys will, will forget about, you know, the next day, much less, much less. How does that affect us for June the 1st? Right. Like I want to make sure that we're spending enough time on the things that, that last the longest because the rest of the stuff, like we're going to do it a bunch. Like our guys are going to get a gajillion swing reps, right. By the time we get to February, like that extra half an hour, you know, that, that maybe could, could be spent on a lesson about nutrition or, doing community service that, 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 that builds our, our care for other people that is going to carry us a little bit further than those extra 16 swings, man, like that's where we spend our time, you know, and that's, and that's how we set up our fall is like, okay, like what, what are our overreaching our long-term goals? Let's build back from there because the baseball side is going to take, I don't want to say it's going to take care of itself because it, it, it deserves and needs and gets its own, um, its own concentration, but, but as baseball coaches, we can get so into the weeds on planning practice and planning and making sure and feeling good that we've gotten up a good a million reps. And, and I, and I'm just as guilty. Hey man, like you ask our hitters, like, Hey coach, man, we swing a lot. Yeah, man, we swing a lot and we hit and we score because we swing a lot. Like that's an important piece to me, but like we can temper some of that for, for the greater good of the things that, that like maybe aren't going to, wouldn't traditionally get a baseball coach's attention. Um, and, and then piece in the other pieces, figure out how we can do a better job of being more efficient with our time on the field so that we can get the same amount of instruction, the same amount of reps, but in a, in a, in a more efficient, more game-like, more beneficial way. Um, I think if, if, that's that's a constant challenge and struggle, but that's where we try to start. I love that, and again, I love love hearing you you know work through it. Just because there's so many different layers that are built on top of what you're doing. Plus, I'm giving you a six month time span and asking, hey, what do you guys do for this? And it's <laughs> like, okay, okay, no, I really like it. So let's go to the spring, or at least you know you're you're you know, we are in you know, winter ish or spring, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah. January, February. So preseason, in season. So I'd love to hear. So, so one of the things that I noticed on your barnstormers videos is you guys do pre-practice meetings. And I, I think that, you know, you hear a lot of teams that are st- starting to do like the classroom setting. Uh, you guys are doing the pre-practice meetings and I, I'd love to hear how, how do you do it efficiently? And one of the things that stood out was the start, stop, continue, which I really like. Uh, but just kind of walk us through, and then I may have some questions for you in regards to that. But just how do we make them more efficient? How do we make them useful? Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think that's that's the key, right? Like I, I was just talking with the guy about this the other day. Like what's your biggest struggle as a leader? Like my biggest struggle as a leader is that I don't want my voice to be drowned out too much. So I'm very conscious of how much I'm talking to our guys what I'm saying to our guys. So is it overload? Are they tuning me out? Um, am I in front of them too much? Am I in front of them too little? Like just finding that balance. And so that pre-practice meeting um, is the same thing, right? Like, am I talking too much? Are we having them too often? Do we have them every day? Do we have them every other day? How does it work into our schedules? And so just trying to establish that is it, it, like 
what's the right balance, right? And I think some of that's trial and error. And, and some of that is, um, is, is just what you're comfortable and what you're trying to, to, um, to cover. But I think it's important, um, to be able to get in front of our guys and have that opportunity. It might be 10 minutes one day. It might be 30 minutes one day. It might be scheduled for 15 minutes one day and 20 minutes before practice, I get an email or I get something or something comes to me that I'm like, you know what, this is really important and I need to tell our guys this and we need to talk about it. Um, and that 15 minute time slot might get extended to 30 minutes, right? Um, sometimes the 20 minute time slot gets shortened down to five because I don't have much for them on that day. And, and I think they're appreciative of that, you know, probably probably more so on the days that it gets shortened than the days that it gets lengthened, but um, but they're all important, right? And so, um, so uh, th- some of the structure, depending on the day, as we get into the spring, and this year was even more important than, than most years because we didn't have much of a fall. At one point in the fall this year, we got shut down for 25 days with some COVID issues campus-wide within our program and the whole deal. And so we didn't have a lot of team time. And so we got to the spring and there were there were guys on our team that didn't know everybody's name. Right. And so it was like, man, we, we got to get our guys in front of each other and we've got to get them together and, and we've got to talk through some things. And 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 so that was really important to us from from the pre-practice meeting. But I think for us, like like especially early, it was like, hey, whatever we're going to do in team defense today we're going to we're going to go over on the classroom on the whiteboard all right tandem cuts and relays this is what we got boom 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 short stops here second baseman's coming here let's go over it here let me answer any questions here then when we get to practice instead of hey let's let's try to diagram it in the middle of practice and then hurry up and let's get it done hey we already did that piece we we answered any questions like now let's go put it into play Right. Like it may be an hour later, two hours later. But, hey, we just diagrammed it. We answered all the questions. We went through it. um, And now, hey, we can roll a little bit more efficiently when we get into practice. All right. So what are we doing in team defense today? What are we doing in in any team aspect today? Let's go through that. Let's answer questions on the front end. Let's try to be very clear about what that looks like so that when we get to practice, we can be a little bit more efficient. By the time we do it the second time, the fourth time, the eighth time, man, we're just rolling now, right? But if we take some time at the beginning, you know, old Abraham Lincoln, um, you know, quote, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first four hours sharpening the axe, right? Like, I'm not just going to take the dull axe and, and hack away for six hours. Let me do the, the again, let me do the, the early work, right? Like, let me do the prep work on the front end, and then I can be way more efficient with my time when it's go time. So trying to take that thought process and put it into our pre-practice meeting. When we start to evaluate our inter-squad scrimmages, our weekend games, our performance on the field, we try to break down exactly where we are in very specific terms, offensively, defensively, pitching, and then overall. What did we do well that we need to continue to do? What did we do poorly that we need to stop doing what did we not do that if we start doing we will get better and and see better results all three areas all right let's just go through them man we'll sit down as a staff in the morning we'll go through them that meeting may take an hour may take two hours depending is it a three game week is it a single game is it a is it a single game is it uh, inner squad scrimmage. Do we play six innings? Do we play 12? Depends, right? Like, but 
what are we doing that we need to stop doing? What are we doing that we need to continue doing? What are we not doing that if we start doing, we're going to get better? And then what are some external factors that that affected us that we need to do a better job of handling? The umpire wasn't very good. Um, man, we, we really gave in to the weather today. It was cold. It was damp. Our guys didn't bring the energy. We didn't do a good job as a staff of, of overcoming some of those things that are way outside of our control. This umpire got um, was really bad zone and, and, you know, he missed a call here and, and I lost my cool and our guys lost their cool and bad body language. Let's identify those. Let's talk through them. Let's give those examples and then let's move forward so that we can get better. Right. And so I think just having a really defined um, process of what that looks like all of a sudden cleans up some of that stuff and, and you're not kind of all over the, all over the map um, as much. And, 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 and then it's consistent, right? Like, so every Monday after a weekend series or every uh, you know, every Tuesday, you know, if Monday's your off day, every Tuesday, this is what it looks like. And so that's, that's what we would do there. Um, and then, uh, and then I saw, I, you know, I stole, you know, hero, hero, uh, whatever, uh, hardship highlight, highlight, hero, hero, hardship highlight. I stole that from, from Jeremy Schiedinger, uh, which I'm sure he stole from somebody else. Um, but like this year was the first year that we did that and we did it in the spring. Um, because it was really important that our guys got to know who the heck everybody was. Again, we didn't have the time in the fall that we normally do because of COVID and dealing with some of those protocols. Um, and, and in our exit meetings, like our guys were like, Hey coach, that was really important to us building a culture and, and a brotherhood, um, for each other, because, you know, we had new guys that, and we didn't see, like there was guys that were in quarantine for three weeks, right? Like they, they didn't get seen at all, you know? And, and so no idea who some of those guys were. Some of those guys didn't say a word to anybody except for their roommates all fall, like because of those challenges. And so, so we mixed some of that stuff in, um, and then just anything else that was maybe on our mind that, that I felt like was beneficial. Um, talking about attention to detail, talking about leadership levels, talking about work ethic, talking about loving and caring for each other. I mean, those are the three things we talk about all the time in our program, attention to detail, elite level work ethic, uncommon love and care for one another. Like we could spend every pre-practice meeting talking about one ver uh, some version of one of those three things and it would be beneficial for our guys. So I think if we can boil things down and be really, really, um, you know, be be really um, intentional about that time, um, it can be super beneficial. For sure. No, I'm right there with you. And I, I love just the you, you don't have the same thing because I think you have the same times or a lot of the same times uh, for routine. But you've got different things and different themes that you guys are trying to work through. So you're all, obviously you're gaining their attention in some different ways, but you're also, you have clarity and routine and some different other ways, which I think is a really good idea. The, one of the other things that I wanted to really dig into is again, this was a barnstormers video and I, and it was the chaos BP. And so I'd love for you uh, to be able to outline that for us and just kind of walk us through. This is, this is funny. So basically, um, you know, the, the overarching deal of, of chaos BP for, for us is it's actually more of a defensive BP um, where each guy's playing a position. Essentially, you have however many rounds you want to go through. For us, it's normally four to five rounds. Um, at the end of each round, each round is four swings. Um, we may do some execution rounds. 
we may do some early rhythm rounds, which is just fastball, just be on time for the fastball, be on time for the fastball. We rarely mix in a late round, which would be just sitting on off speed and, and whatever. Um, you know, so the rounds are four swings plus a bunt. Um, so, so at the end of each round, um, each guy has a bunt. He has to, um, tell, tell us what that bunt, um, is going to be. It's a, is it a drag? Is it a push? Is it a safety? Is it a kill bunt? What is that? If they don't tell us, then, then, then their bunt doesn't count, right? Like if they just bunt one and we record an out, like that doesn't, that doesn't count. Right. So that's what the rounds look like. Um, the setup is basically all the screens are off the field. There's no there's no base running going on. Everything is against the stopwatch. Okay, so we set goals: um, twenty five plays at first base, twenty five double plays turned, um, twenty five you know twenty outfield running back, twenty outfield running in, um, fifteen bump plays to first, fifteen bump plays to second, fifteen bump plays to third, and basically it's just a constant. You know, as you can see, like guys are running around, we crank up the music. We want them, the pace to be, to be unrealistic, right? Like, because we want the heart rate up. We want them to have to play through adversity. You're not going to make all the plays. You're going to turn double plays that are four fours and the cutoff is four, two, five. So it doesn't count. Um, You're going to, you're going to boot a ground ball. You're going to overthrow it, but guess what? Like the next one's coming, right? Like, so we're just trying to basically breed into them being uncomfortable, increasing the heart rate, um, being able to play through mistakes because you don't have time to worry about it because another play is getting ready to come. And if you're mad about that throw that you just missed or just had a bad deal, like then gosh, dang, man, like you, you'd probably just miss two more balls because it's, it's up tempo on the flip side, offensively, if you're going to be super selfish and just try to hit balls in the gap all day, like you're probably going to fall short of your goals. Right. So now we have to control the barrel a little bit. Now we have to be a little bit more unselfish. Hey, I'm trying to hit ground balls to the shortstop. Like I'm trying, literally trying to manipulate my swing to achieve the goal that the team has set. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so is it the most productive day offensively? No. Like in terms of like getting our best swing off, like, but in terms of, um, but in terms of like being unselfish and being able to control the barrel and being able to change kind of your own mindset, like for the betterment of the team. Yeah, man, it's super beneficial. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so, um, so essentially like we set it up, we got the L screen, got the platform. We have one square screen on the side, about halfway down um, between third and home. We've got the okay. turtle and then we've got the two shag screens in foul territory against the warning on the warning track. Um, down the lines, probably, I don't know, 50 feet past each bag. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's the, and, and that's the shag screens. Um, and so those are the only screens that are on the field. The, the, the square screen that that's down the third baseline is in foul territory and the pitchers that are getting ready to run onto the field to play defense, they are standing behind that. And so, um, one of the things is that that if there's a ball off the L screen, okay. a pitcher, the pitcher that's on the mound has a ball in his glove or in his hand and ball off the L screen is an automatic double play turn to the middle. Okay. okay? So boom, I'm throwing Jonathan to you. Boom. Ball mm-hmm. off the L screen. Timmy's on the mound. He's got a ball in his glove. Okay. Bam. 
um, he turns the double play in the middle. Once once we get all of our double play turns, say we have 30 double play turns for the day mm-hmm. um, as, as one of our goals. Once we get past that, the pitchers are still involved um, and they and, and now they go like their best move to first base, their best pick move to first base. So same thing, ball off the L screen, best move to first base. Boom. Like so that's their responsibility. And then they have bunts, right? So every round ends with a bunt. They have to hop off, field their position, and then they're off. Once that happens, the next guy's running on, and that's why we've got that that square screen on the side. So they're not in danger yeah. of getting hit by anything, but sure. they're ready to go um and and get on. Now, now we rotate, we break the pitchers into however many BP groups we have. We have four groups, there's four groups of pitchers. The other ones are are against the wall, just shagging whatever doesn't get caught or played live by the outfielders. Okay. And then they'll just rotate around. Um, so again, trying to incorporate basically every position. The only position that that we don't incorporate during this is the catcher. I'm not, I was a catcher man, not a big believer in catchers catching BP. And so mm. I don't want them back there for an yeah. hour and 15 minutes, which is basically what it takes us to run through the whole thing. It, it takes okay. some time. Um, but they'll go play first base. They'll go um, play some outfield. They'll try to collect some points and stuff that way. Now, the outfielders, obviously, there's only so many balls, right? Like play sure. deep and run in, play in and run back. We mm-hmm. also do um, um, outfield long hops. So basically um, get a ground ball to the center fielder. Like he comes up and he long hops one of the shag buckets that's in foul territory on the side. Shag guy catches it, puts it in the bucket. He relays into the scorekeeper. Long hop, yes. Like, boom, because that's one of our goals. 20 outfield long hops to the bucket. Like they short hop it, overthrow it, roll it, doesn't count. Like it has to be a legit long hop. Um, They've got to hit the bucket guy. Bucket guy has to communicate that in and go from there. I challenge our coaches to try to bring as much energy as, as possible. One or two guys has got stopwatch. One's keeping the score sheet. Um, you know, so it gets pretty intense. And, and mm-hmm. um, but we try to incorporate that, you know, for get more live reps on defense, um, put guys in an uncomfortable situation, get them to play through adversity, get them to think on their feet um, and, and, and try to recreate a heart rate that might be similar to playing in front of 15,000 people mm. in Starkville, Mississippi, um, right. you know, trying to turn a double play to, to finish a ball game. Sure. So I had a couple of questions uh, after watching the video, uh, a couple of things to point out too. I really like the, you guys had the, uh, the pitchers. I don't know what you'd call it. Like the tap screens, the, the athletic mm-hmm. pitcher screens behind uh, as the catcher. And I think yep. that that's a really good thing. One for the BP thrower, but also to strike zone awareness. I don't know if it was, if that was part of it. That's the whole, that, that was our whole, uh, the, I had an assistant coach here named Jake Wells. He's now at Louisiana Lafayette and he, brought chaos BP to us. He's like, Hey coach, we, we did this thing when I was the volunteer at Mississippi state with, with coach Cohen and, you know, we call it chaos BP and we do this, this, I'm like, man, I don't know what the heck you're talking about, but it sounds cool. Mm-hmm. And if you want to do it, like, let's do it, show it to me. Like, and now we love it. Right. So like, he's the one that, that brought that, like, as we started to get into that zone recognition, that was also a thing like that, he, that he was big on and he would, he would put a bucket on a chair behind home plate. Like, okay. so like as you're throwing BP, like 
if it hits the bucket, it's probably a strike. If it misses the mm-hmm. bucket, probably not. Just a you know, just a normal ball bucket, not one of the mm-hmm. big ones, just a normal ball bucket. And of course, we started blowing up, you know, like hand, like breaking a bunch of buckets. Sure. So I was like, man, yeah. like let's let's find a screen that makes sense for that. And so we did that. Mm-hmm. And so it's been really good for that as well for from a zone recognition standpoint. Um, because if it hits the rails, it's probably outside of the the strike zone. Mm-hmm. And and so you get some instant feedback there. And I and for me now. And all of our coaches, like we love throwing to them, like it's it's a oh, good it's good visual for us. Sure. Second thing is like balls. So I noticed like there was a ball hit to left field, fly ball hit to left field, and then the shortstop immediately, like I think in in the same sequence, was fielding a ground ball. Do you guys count, or do you guys ha- like hit how like how do you decide when to hit fungo to infielders and and all of that? Because there's just no. so much going on that I'm yep. like, oh my gosh, what's going on? No fungo, no fungo. Okay. No fungo. So it was literally chaos. the, ne- like it was the next literally pitch. the next pitch. Yeah. So like oh, as nice. a BP thrower, basically like you're not waiting for the play to be made. You're mm-hmm. throwing BP, right? Like there's there's a little like you again like depending on your tempo. Like sure. yeah, you want to give them a little shot, but it's not like hey, let's wait to see if this dude catches the ball. That's not my responsibility as the BP thrower. Like I'm in rhythm. It's a normal BP rhythm. Those guys, the defenders, are the ones that have to have their head up and keep moving and keep playing. It's exhausting for them, right? Like, you can't do it every day. I wouldn't recommend doing it every day. I wouldn't recommend doing it more than one time a week. We do it maybe once every two weeks because it's exhausting. It's a lot of throws. It's a lot on their arms. It's a lot on their bodies, um, you know, and, and and but, like, yeah, hey, boom, fly ball to left. We got we've got coaches that are that are watching the balls. Boom, ground ball to short. Like you might have two in a row. Outfield, yes. Infield, four, three, five, no. Like boom, just like that, right? Like didn't complete the play in four two or better or four two five mm-hmm. or better, and doesn't count, right? So, right. Um, yeah. Really so good. just just keeping that tempo going, I think, is an important piece. Sure. And like, like we were talking about just a little, a little while ago, don't be afraid to try it. Like coaches, don't be afraid to try it because it may take two hours the first time, but you can mm-hmm. start to get better at it. And the only way to get better at live reps is live reps. That's right. Uh, another thing that, that I noticed, and again, I'm going to link these barnstormer videos. Uh, they are a property of the ABCA who does a fantastic job. And I want to make sure that they get credit uh, for the videos because it wasn't me. Right. Uh, I just, uh, I'm a member and I also noticed but uh, I'll link that below in, in case anyone wants to go see it. But another thing that you uh, you guys do, which I thought was really interesting, is your execution rounds. Uh, you have the guys verbally say what they're going to do before they hit. Now, I don't, I don't know if you do this every time, but there's just the psychology of like them verbally saying it is peer pressure and them verbally saying it is also ownership. Like I'm taking ownership of what I'm about to do. Like, is that the thought process behind what you guys are doing? How, like, how often do you do that? Uh, just kind of walk us through the, your thought process with that. Yeah, hundred percent. Actually, we stole that from from University of Louisville. I think um, Coach Schneider was was doing a, a hitting talk uh, two or three years ago at the convention, and um, they had their guys do that. And I thought, man, I wrote that down in my notes. Like, that's genius, right? Like, because normally it's me out there on the BP or BP thrower or whatever, like hit and run you know, move them, whatever it is. Like, so essentially like what we try to do is we kind of put our guys in, in, you know, some identity classifications, banger, baller, burner, ball player. And so, you know, depending on what their skill set is, depending on what I'm going to ask them to do or what we're going to ask them to do game time wise, 
depends on maybe what their priority is. If you're a banger, you're a three, four, five guy that, that's paid to drive in runs and 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 hit doubles and home runs and and and, and RBIs. I'm probably never going to give you hit and run. So I never, I don't ask you to work on hit and run a whole lot. I need you to know what it is in case for some weird reason I have to put it on. But we we would ask you to work on that very little, or if at all. But I want you to get really good at taking some ownership of hitting a sack fly or hitting that ground ball to the shortstop with the infield back and a runner to throw with less than two outs. Okay. Well, how to like, number one, identifying that, giving them those things. This is what your responsibility is. This is, this is my expectation for you. You need to get good at this for you to be in the lineup every day and help our team. You have to get good at this. Okay. So that's number one, identify for them what's important to you for them to be in the lineup. They may think something's important to them, but they never get asked to do it. So, so why would they, you know, you don't want them to work on things that you don't feel like is going to help the team. Right. So identify that for them. But then number two, the thought process is exactly what you said it was. The more that you have to verbalize um, what just happened or what you're, or declare what you're about to work on or, and, or do the more ownership you instinctually have of it. And, and the more important it becomes to you, right? Like, if and and I believe the more you process it through your your the the words that you use the 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 action of your mind having to formulate and say those words then formulates through your body on what exactly just happened did you execute it did you not do I need to go back to that can I move on to the next one so on and so forth so I think any time that you can identify stuff for them that is important and their their expectation now becomes clear is good. And anytime that you can give them some ownership of the work and the process that it takes to be able to execute those things. And I think verbalizing that um, and it reinforces for a coach, it reinforces that they understand what their expectation is. If I tell you, Jonathan, I'm never going to give you hit and run. You need your expectation is RBI ground balls and sack flies. That's what I want you to work on. That's your, your execution priority. And the first day we get into the cage and I say, well, you have to you're 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 telling me what you're working on and you and you say hit and run. Either I didn't do a clear enough job of explaining it to you or you didn't hear it well enough. Either way, there's a disconnect there that needs to get fixed quickly. Right. If I never if if I never if I never hear you verbalize it, I may never know that there's a disconnect there. And and that's that's a problem that that is easily fixed that just goes unnoticed for a long time. I really like that a lot. So uh, one of the other other, I guess, drill sets that I want to dig into and then we'll we'll get to some quick hitters. But you mentioned that the short game and base running were both really important aspects of what you guys want to do offensively. And I I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, And so I'd love to hear, you know, how you guys approach teaching that or training that and just kind of walk us through if you're, if it's drill sets, if it's, you know, what, whatever it is, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with the, with the short game, um, with the short game, we, we try to um, basically we, we work on four, maybe five um, drag. Basically for us, there, there's a standard in our program. Everybody in our program has to be able to do two things. They have to be able to drag, but they have to be able to safety squeeze. I don't care if you're six, five, two forty, and, hit 20 bombs a year. I don't care if you're 5'8", 165, and you steal 25 bags a year. Like, you have to be able to drag. You have to be able to safety. One, safety for me 
Um, anybody in our lineup can safety. And so that gives me a lot of options in the third base box. The name of the game is to score more runs than the other team, not to get more hits. So I'm, 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 we're, we're obsessed with trying to figure out ways to score runs, right? So that's really important. Um, and then the drag with the shifts and, and with where people play, we don't want defenses to be able to play wherever the heck they want to play. We want to be able to have weapons at our disposal. And so those two things are really important. So we establish that. We talk about that from the very beginning. Like that's the the pressure. Um, one of our one of our four phases of offense is just pressure offense. It includes base running, includes short game, includes um, hit by pitch and, and some of those things that we work on quite a bit. Um, but so we talk about drag bunts. We talk about um, safety squeeze, kill bunt, which is your traditional sack bunt. Um, uh, squeeze bunt and then push bunt. So not everybody pushes, not everybody uh, kill bunts. We start with the kill because there's there's just so much um, good that goes into that, that that leaks over. And so we we talk about technique. We talk about being athletic. We we walk through that. We start with a live arm, uh, just a regular VP arm. We'll progress to like maybe a mini hack. We we paint out a, a diagram on our back practice infield. Um, which is just grass, just a grass practice infield. So, hey, this is this is where we want kill bunts to be. This is where we want drags to be. This is the drag lane. This is the push lane. This is the 45 lane. This is, you know, and so we go through each one of them. We we teach it. We drill it. We teach it. We drill it. We teach it. We drill it. We increase the the consistency. We increase um, the element of, of challenge, right? So we'll go from uh, live BP arm, We'll go to, um, you know, a mini hack. Then we'll go to a, a, a regular hack attack machine on um, on standard legs. We'll go to a, a hack attack machine on tall legs, and that ball's moving all over the place. We'll progress to breaking balls, sliders, left-handed, right-handed, so on and so forth. So just like with the execution side of things, we try to identify for each one of our guys if there is an extra bunt that they need to be able to master besides drag and safety, um, maybe you're really good at the push. And so when, when we get to our ID bunts, right, like you're going to work on, you're going to work on push and you're going to work on drag. Um, okay. Well, within push, maybe you're a left-hander that brings it down the line with you and we want it to land at that 45 foot. So now maybe there's even an extra level of that. And so again, if I'm never going to ask you to push bunt, I'm not going to have you practice push bunting. I want everybody to try it to see if they have a feel for it. If they have no feel for it, I'm not going to waste a bunch of time trying to teach them feel for it because it's, it's something that we don't maybe use a whole lot. Um, so again, just trying to uh, be very clear with them about their expectations sure. and, and what they need to be able to, to execute is really, really important. And so just like with, with the um, just like with the execution rounds, right. Where we've got hit and run, move them, RBI ground ball, sack fly. Um, we've got drag, push, safety, um, squeeze, and and kill bunt. So, like, we've got priorities for each one of those. We try to keep it at two. Um, some guys might have three if they've got an advanced feel for things. And then we just drill it and 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 talk about it, and we put it in. Um, we do some version of it almost every single day, if not every other day. Um, there's some version of that. Um, then we start to piece in base running with it and we base run every single day. Um, 
a great resource is Matt Tallarico, steelbases.com. He's, he's tremendous. He's with the Yankees now, was, was in the college game at University of Dayton and Wright State for a long time. He has been a tremendous resource for me. Matt Reiser's um, talk at the ABCA convention four or five years ago, um, head coach at Southeastern Louisiana. Uh, just tremendous, tremendous resources. Um, old school, new school leads, vault jumps, um, dirt ball reads, all that kind of stuff. And, 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 um, you know, turns around the bases. We work on that stuff. Oh man. Every day, you know, every day we, we, we hammer down the base running side returns, um, you know, getting a good sliding back into the bag, stuff like that, that again, little things that people don't pay a lot of attention to. Um, we try to master because again, like if your return to first base is really good and really efficient, then you have confidence that you're not going to get picked off when you have confidence that you can't get picked off. Um, you have more confidence that you're going to be safe when you have more confidence that you're going to be safe. You yep. typically get a better jump, right? Like it, it all builds on itself. And so um, we spend a lot of time on, on, on putting a lot of that stuff in. Oh, really good. Well, I've got a couple of quick hitters before you go. Uh, sure. the first, the first one is uh, what is something that you've learned lately that you're really excited about? You want to learn more about self-awareness. Um, you know, self-awareness, I think, um, I read, I read an article in Forbes, um, about the guy, I, I don't remember his name. He was the head football coach at, at Coastal Carolina, um, not too long ago. He's, he's now like the director of president of football operations there, but he was also the CEO of TD Ameritrade, um, that, that merged Ameritrade and TD Waterhouse investment. Um, and, and investment groups and, and into into TD Ameritrade. I mean, he's he's um, phenomenal leader in a lot of different fronts. And um, he wrote an article just recently about the one thing that he felt like you know kind of transcends a bunch of of areas is self awareness is knowing um, is knowing your strengths and your weaknesses, being able to communicate those things, being able to be open and vulnerable to them. And then, and then really um, being able to, to make adjustments as needed. Right. And, and I think that, that, that self-awareness, how you play to others is an area that, that I'm just, you know, really starting to, to dig in on um, and, and understand that um, the way that maybe I think that I play to others and, and the way that maybe I actually play to other people isn't always the same. Um, and, and the self-awareness of like, Hey, when I'm in a crappy mood, how does that play to our guys? Right? Like, and when I'm in a good mood, how does that play to our guys? How does that affect their performance? How does that affect their, their response to adversity? How does my, um, being aware of how my response affects their response? Right. And, and, and every level of that, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of, of, um, interesting things out there on self-awareness. And I, I would say that's one thing that, that I need to continue to do a better job of, but, but something that, that recently is, has really piqued my interest. Well, I'm glad that you're self-aware about your self-awareness. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. What is, uh, what is something that you used to think or have recently changed your mind about and why? Yeah, I think it's funny. We, we had a visit the other day and I was talking about um, nutrition and we have a fuel zone. Again, we're, we're fortunate to have really good 
resources here and, and, and facilities and, and all that. So right up the tunnel, right inside of our locker room, we've got a big cooler that's got Gatorades and waters and Uncrustables and protein and everything and, and, and um, fresh fruit during the year and, and lots of great things. And, and, and just the importance of fueling the body, I think at all times, especially for 18 to 22 year old guys, I think that five, six, seven years ago, Hey man, we don't need to be eating in the dugout. You know, like, I don't like, you don't like fifth inning, man. Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you eating? You know, like, I think I would react um, like, that, like with that quote unquote, super old school, like that's soft, man. Like you don't need to be eating in the dugout. Like, and now I'm like, Hey man, like you're a late inning guy. <laughs> like it's the fifth inning. Like go get a protein bar, go get a shake, get down to the bullpen, make sure that you're fueled and ready to go, man, to try to, you know, because like just understanding like what fuel for the body um, does for your players and, and, and like what, like being hungry does like adversely to, to myself and to our players and, and, and some of that stuff, like, Hey man, like I'm not above like changing and figuring out like how to perform better. That doesn't make us softer because we have food in the dugout. Like that's an area though, that I think like people might look at us or, or, or look at like some of the things that we do and be like, man, what are those guys doing? Like what they've got, like, why are they eating? Like, why is that dude eating a banana or peanut butter crackers in the fifth inning? Like that's, that's weak, man. That's so soft. Like, mm-hmm. no, man, like, no, like we're trying to fuel our body so that, you know, we right. can close out the number 10 team in the country, you know, at, at the end of a four hour game, like our dudes mm-hmm. haven't eaten since two in the afternoon. I need them to get big outs at nine 30 at night. Like, I need to make sure that their their body's ready to perform at the best it possibly can, you know. And then, yep. and then I think the the other one that's always cracks me up, man. College baseball coach, we use aluminum bats on the field in games and so on and so forth. Like I swing an aluminum fungo, okay? Like this is so so ridiculous. I swing an aluminum fungo. I have I can't tell you, Jonathan, how many times people have been like, "Dude, you're so soft for swinging an aluminum fungo." Like why? Yeah. Like what do you like? you can't swing a wood fungo. What's wrong with you? Like, are you getting that old? And I'm like, no, nah, man, like, but we play with aluminum bats. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that doesn't matter. Well, what, oh, so you're telling me that the ball comes off the different, the, the bat differently, but it comes off the, the wood fungo good enough. Like, but, but it, but it's weak when it comes off an aluminum fungo. Like that's just like, that's like the littlest thing. But like, I used to be that guy, man. Like I used to be that guy. Like I need the K100 Louisville slugger. Like, and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, man. Like, Hey, the aluminum fungo is lighter in my hand. And I think the ball jumps off better. And I think it reacts more like an aluminum bat because it is an aluminum bat than a wood fungo. Like it just like, that's something so small, but, but that's, that's something that, that, uh, that definitely um, makes me laugh. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I, I'd love to hear uh, just any resources that, that you've got that you've mentioned a couple of them and, and I've, I've linked several of them in the show notes. Uh, but are there any resources or books or just programs that, that you really, that interest you uh, that uh, you'd you would encourage our coaches to dig into like this is this is off the baseball topic this is like a life topic for me like um good i had i had one of our um our, our academic coordinator as a matter of fact um gave me a book um last year at the end of at the end of the year my birthday is in november 
and and she gave me this book. She's like, I think I think you'll really enjoy it. And it's called The Daily Stoic. It's a it's a daily reader. Um, it's two paragraphs. It's broken into each month is 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 um, something different. Some problem solving, some's duty, some's um, all kinds of different stuff, um, character, all kinds of of different things. Um, there's been more than there's been more than you know 10 15 times that during the season um thinking about things that that we need to relay to our players or how can i handle myself better how can i be a better person how can i be a better leader how can i um think through issues a, a little bit more that that i've used examples from that book um from that daily reader in our pre-practice meeting hey i was reading about this this morning um you know and 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 what it takes, you know, what, what's courage look like? What, what about when we, when we face adversity and things seem unfair? Like there, there's just different little, little anecdotes in there that resonate with me that, that, that have been super helpful um, translating to our guys and, and allow us to maybe take uh, a 10,000, 30,000 foot view of, of what's going on opposed to being so minute in, and like, man, we're, we're on a losing streak right here. Like, mm, man, this stinks. Like, well, we need to throw better. We need to play catch better. Like, Hey man, sometimes we just need to take a deep breath, step back and say, um, you know, like when bad things happen or when challenging things happen, like let's, let's like one, one for instance was like, every day is a training day. Like if you look at it like that, every day is a training day. And that when, when things happen poorly or things go poorly for you, that's just preparing you for for you to have success in a similar situation down the road. Like so instead of like a, a particular failure or a particular shortcoming being an end all be all like, man, I'm terrible. This is no good. Like, hey, man, like that's just training you up for for a, a situation that's going to come down the road when we don't know when that you're going to be able to handle that similar situation better. Like that came straight out of the Daily Stoic, man, like. I'm not saying it's a catch all end all whatever, but like it's been super helpful for me and I would recommend it. It's five minutes every morning, man, like getting to the routine of coming in, being able to to read through some of that. And and, and a lot of that stuff sticks. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Ryan Holiday. I mean, I, I think I've read all of his books, at least the ones on stoicism. And he's actually yeah. got another one coming out uh, on fear uh, this fall, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to. But Justin, man, I, I appreciate your time. Gosh, I, I've got so much to, to work through. I'm going to have to listen to this episode again. Uh, but awesome, I, I'd, lo I'd love to give you the opportunity to just talk to our listeners before you go. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell them before you head out? I, I mean, just 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 love it, man. Just love what what you're doing. You know, um, I think that I think just going back to that Steve Kerr quote of, of um, you know, in, in our brief conversation and you know, there's been plenty of times and, and plenty of struggles. Like it, it, you're going to face adversity, right? Like there, that that's not an if, it's a when. Um, and and I think going into any situation as a coach, as a person, as a player, knowing that adversity is going to strike. You don't know when, you don't know how, you don't know whatever. Just know that it's going to strike. Like you can be better prepared to handle it just knowing that it's actually going to happen. Like you don't have to be surprised by that. And that, and that fighting through that adversity is going to bring you joy, right? Like, and, and if, if what you're doing isn't bringing you joy, if you're not working as hard as you possibly can on something that, that you enjoy, go find something that you enjoy and work your tail off at that. Like I've said, just like you were saying earlier, man, like I've said a hundred times, um, I'm going to work as hard as I can 
and, and invest as much as I can in, in what we're doing every single day. And if at the end of the day, that's not good enough, and, and, I, and, and I have to be moved somewhere else or away from this job or away from this opportunity or away from this relationship or whatever, then it just wasn't meant to be for me in this, in this scenario. Um, if, if you do that and you don't have any regrets and you work through some of those challenges, man, like, um, then you can't lose, you know, at the end of the day, man, like at the end of your career, at the end of whatever, like you can look up and you can say, you know what? I did the absolute best that I could do. I didn't try to do my best. I actually did the best that I could do in every scenario that I was put in. And I gave it everything I had. And, and uh, you know, either the chips fell for me or they didn't. But you know what? I fought through adversity, man. I found joy in what I was doing. And, uh, and we all have the choice to be able to do that. And I think that that's in baseball, in life. Um, I think that those are, are some things that we can hold on to um, and live by every day. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.